I'm creative business coach Anastasia Williams, and you are listening to Making Magic, a podcast for fiber artists, makers, and creatives who are looking to craft a business with intention. Hello, and welcome to episode 17. Today, I am going to continue my interview with Hannah Thyssen, which we started last week. So if you haven't heard part one of our conversation, you can go back and listen to that episode 16. But today we are going to dive into her book writing process since she is an author of both slow knitting and seasonal slow knitting. You'll notice that I said it wrong in the interview and that's really embarrassing. But anyway, um, we do take a quick brief break in the middle um, I had to pick up a baby Robin that somebody was bringing to my house for rehab and then we talk about some clever things that Hannah has done to save the babies in her yard um, we also do talk about her wool directory that she has been creating um, and I do think that this is another episode that is just full of so much great information and uh, tips for those of you who may be wanting to start a book or start any of your own initiatives. Um, so let's go ahead. Let's just get started. I think the next thing I want to talk to you about is mm-hmm. book writing because book writing is, is kind of your thing because um, you've written two books now. Yes. Slow knitting and slow knitting seasonally. And I would like to know about, well, first tell us about the books, kind of what they're about and how that process worked for you specifically. Okay. So the first book was slow knitting and it came out, um, in 2017. I have the same publisher for both books, Abrams craft. And the first book is kind of about a philosophy of a different way to approach your knitting practice. Being, being a knitter has become, it means so many different things to so many different people. And around the time that I wrote Slow Knitting, I was feeling a bit lost in the cycle of make, 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 finish, 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 make, 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 finish, finish, finish. And you would start a project and then it was all about how quick the project would be, or if it would knit up quick, or if you could make 50 of it, or if you could do, you know, X number of socks in X number of months. And I just was feeling this, um, there's a knit along every day, a new one that I want to participate in and, and new yarn. And I was feeling just overwhelmed by the massive amount of change and upheaval that I had seen uh, within knitting during the time that I had been knitting. And I missed the magic that is just like having a really nice woolly wool, sitting down with a pair of your favorite needles and casting on and knowing that whatever you're gonna make is warm and that it's gonna be a lot of fun to work on. And having these simple kind of goals and desires for the end process, the length of the time, you know, that you spend on something, just the entire journey, just being okay with all of it and forgetting about 50 quick knits and which yarn is the new yarn. The yarn you have is the yarn you have. 
the needles you have or the needles you have. If you want to try new stuff, you know, through slow knitting, my goal was to, to offer people something that was different, but maybe more familiar. So I went through this list through the whole book. I have kind of different essays about yarn companies that I had followed their stories, or I felt like they were doing something really unique and interesting, domestically produced or internationally produced fiber content and great textures or colors. And then I had designers who were big names, like the biggest names that I knew design the pieces for this book because I wasn't a designer yet. And then I wrote all the little essays in between and the big essays in between with the goal being, let's just have a reset. Let's just reset what knitting means, why we knit, where we knit, how we knit, how we feel about knitting, our relationship with our projects. So that was the goal of slow knitting. Then seasonal slow knitting kind of came out of a combination of ideas, classes that I had taught and feedback that I got from the first book. I got a lot of feedback from the first book that was not easy to hear. It was a lot of like, um, this reads like an ad. There's a lot of just like nonstop advertising happening in this book that she just wants to buy this expensive yarn. And I felt like I had, at first I was like, oh, the reader has missed the point. This reader doesn't get it, what I'm trying to do. And, but I kept coming back and reading these bad reviews because I can't help myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading the bad reviews over and over. And I'm saying like, how would I reach this person differently? You know, if, if what I shared the first time around didn't reach this person, but they picked up the book, you know, they picked up the book, they bought it, they read it because they thought it was going to be for them. How could I reach them better with the second book? And so my thought was maybe I could create something that was a little more genuine to myself, a little more honest and authentic. So I wrote a lot more. I wrote so much stuff for seasonal slow knitting. And then I designed all the patterns. Now the design part, I feel like was very ambitious. <laughs> and I, I really should have like slowed my roll on that, that part, um, but I made it, I did it. I pulled it out. I'm happy with the pieces in the book. Um, but really what that book is about is the writing and it goes through the whole year seasonally starting with spring and ending with winter. But the forward in the book kind of says, start with the season that you're in. And that has become my everyday life motto for how I approach knitting at this point is start with the season that you're in, do what you want to do. If you wake up and it's, you know, you live somewhere where it's 70 degrees outside and you don't feel like working on the sweater that you've been working on for the past six months anymore, happily, like maybe you've been working on it every day and you're in love with it, but suddenly you wake up and the mojo is gone on it. Don't force, don't force yourself to complete that sweater. Do something that makes you happy. This entire thing is supposed to just be about making you happy individually. It's literally supposed to be selfish. So if you, if you can't get, get through it, you know, with, in a way that makes, that makes the process enjoyable for you, then I don't think it's worth doing as a hobby. Yeah. And I had to reconcile like what it feels like to be, be someone who does all of this stuff for their job. How does that feel different than the time that I sit down and I knit for myself? 
And how does my practice change throughout the year? And so that's what seasonal slow knitting was kind of about, like an expansion on that. But it also contains a lot of these sort of um, laissez-faire like knitting tips that I have accrued over time. So like, here's how I sew on a button or, um, you know, I, I knit English and there's a lot of people who knit color work and they'll tell you color work is so much faster if you can knit continental with yarn in both hands or you can knit, you know, any of the other ways that have tension on both, both hands, two different strands, three different strands. I knit it all English. I knit color work English all the time. And I don't really see too many people talking about it. So I included a thing in the book about how I knit color work English. Mm. And it's not revolutionary. None of it is. In fact, some of it is probably not that highly advised. My, <laughs> my technical editor, um, who is brilliant, Sue McCain is just like a genius. And she she reviewed some sections of the book that are kind of my hacks for if you don't have like blocking stuff, you can uh, pin everything out to a dry towel and hang it over a door. And she, she said, you're gonna end up with some really wonky pieces. And I said, well, Sue, this worked for me for years until I had um, space to lay things out. You know, it worked for me for a really long time. And yeah, maybe the pieces are a little wonky, but if, if you're the kind of person who doesn't have space for blocking mats or you don't have a spare bed or you need something up off the floor because your cat is like highly susceptible to barfing on things then the towel over the door method is a winner <laughs> so there's stuff like that in there you know it's like my personal like I I did this because I didn't know how to do it another way for a while and maybe maybe people read it and they're going to roll their eyes and and be like that's not a good way of doing that. And that's fine. They don't have to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. They but it, do doesn't it, their mean, way. it doesn't mean there's not value in learning about it though. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I yeah. Think or that nobody else would want to try it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That sounds, that just sounds so lovely. You know, it's really interesting. Um, I got kind of sucked into your pitch on, on your books there. Uh, that was a good, that was a really good pitch. <laughs> Um, so do you feel then you personally that you met that goal of being able to come back and reach those people who came back with some negativity? I mean, obviously you can't know, you can't. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I hope so. The reviews for the second book have been very different than the reviews for the first book in a good way. I did have a few reviews that I read recently that we're complaining about how there's not enough patterns. So I just, you know, you can't win them all. <laughs> um, but that's not really what the book's about for me. I think the funny thing about writing a book is that you come up with all of these thoughts and then you put them to paper and then you refine them, refine them, refine them, refine them. And what ends up happening is that as you write them, you feel the words and as you edit them, you distance yourself from the words. So by the time that the book comes out, what's in the page is very foreign to me as the author. And so I can actually read back through my own books and be like, wow, I, I thought of that. That's nice. <laughs> um, and so I guess it allows for a little bit of extra um, navel gazing or 
uh, deep introspection in a way that uh, other people just simply can't understand because they're not published as I am. And so um, I think it just becomes a sort of like cycle of revisiting your own thought process. Mm -hmm. It's like a very public form of journaling, I suppose. Yeah. A very narcissistic type of journaling. <laughs> well, I mean, I think narcissism is a bit extreme, but I mean, I, hmm. I, I guess I kind of see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I really love, I love the process of writing books because often through the writing, I discover clarity on things that I've already been thinking about. Mm -hmm. So I would say, yes, I'm closer than I was to achieving slow knitting nirvana, um, but I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. I think I probably have to write a few more books <laughs> is, is what I think. Uh, yeah, I did realize in, in the process that I really love the process of writing books mm -hmm. and publishing. And that's become a huge source of joy for me is well, thinking of books. Well, that's great. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's exactly the kind of person you want writing your books. <laughs> the one who takes joy in yes. doing it so yeah that's that's amazing all right quick aside someone is going to be bringing me a injured baby robin here shortly i just got a message so if i need to if i just okay. need to pause for a second i just need to like right here. Grab it. um yeah. but i haven't i don't see them yet so i'm just gonna sit here and stare okay. out the window but you just tell me when you have to go <laughs> Bird alert. Um, the, uh, okay. Then knowing your process and kind of how you've done it, what, what is, what would you say some of your advice would be to somebody if they want to write a book or be an author in any way? Yeah. So this is a question that I get asked actually a lot. So I've actually begun compiling sort of these thoughts into what will hopefully develop into an eventual like workshop that people could get in pieces. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of pick which pieces are relevant to what you're making. But as a very broad idea, I think that becoming an author is less about becoming published or making money off of a book or getting your mark on the world out there and more about sharing something that you think someone else needs to hear. So if you're writing something that is a very specific, you know, I've come up with this knitwear collection and I have kind of a story that goes with it, but you're not doing so much of the writing, that's a very different thing than the type of book that I like to write, which is very uh, word heavy. So depending on what kind of book you wanna write, you can kind of look at all of the avenues available to you. There's self-publishing, there's publishing through traditional publisher, and then there's um, craft book publishing, which is kind of a subcategory of traditional publishing in the sense that a lot of um, like Golden Peak Media or Interweave Press or Soho Publishing, they put out consistent collections and books that are picked up by yarn stores and stores like Barnes and Noble or Joanne Fabrics or 
whatever. So they're looking for more of those collection type of books. So I would say first, like know who your, who your audience is, what book you want to write and who the publisher is for that, for that specific thing. You need to identify who is most likely to publish a book that you're going to write. And an easy way to do that is to go to your own bookshelf and pull out all of your favorite books that are similar to the type of book that you wanna write and write down the names of the publishers on the spines of those books and then figure out how to get a hold of them. And the last piece is not easy. Um, for some publishers, they're gonna tell you that you have to have a agent. And I have never worked with an agent, so I can't, I don't know anything about that. Um, other publishers will take open proposal. And that's what I did with Abrams is essentially I had this idea for slow knitting. I made a mood board. I wrote up a little paragraph about it and I sent it off to an email that was just acquisitions, you know, general email or like the contact us link email. And I said, book submission, <laughs> you know, slow knitting by Hannah Thyssen. And then in the, uh, in the body of the message. I said, look, I have this idea for a book. I would love to talk to someone about it. Um, I've attached the proposal. I hope to hear back soon. And I just sent it out in the world and knew that I, I might never hear back. Uh, it might be months before I heard back. And you just have to be prepared for the inevitable rejection that you're gonna hit somewhere. You know, There's gonna be some email that comes back that's a no. But there might be an email that comes back that's a yes. And it's worth it for every yes to hear however many no's if what you want to do is really what you want to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you do any sort of research yourself before you sent off the proposal? Or um, was it kind of, I don't want to say on a whim because you do, you don't seem like a um, kind of person. <laughs> Well, I had been I had been talking about the book for a while with a lot of different people. So for me, networking has always been very much the core of my career. And I had a lot of friends who were designers who had done done books. They'd done all kinds of types of books. You know, they'd done collections. They'd done traditional publishing or craft book publishing, and they had experience. So I asked them, you know, do you think that this is, sounds like a good book? Um, people that you trust are the best possible sounding board for these types of things, because you can just reach out to them and be like, Hey, I had this idea floating around in my head. And I don't know if it's a good one, or if it's just an idea that I like, what do you think? And so I did that over and over for about a year. And what really solidified it for me was that every time I told one of these, these designers about the book that I was sort of thinking about writing they would come back with, well, have you talked to this person? Or will you have to include this yarn company? Or you need to reach out to this designer. This is just what they would wanna do. And so having that network of people who are equally excited about my project and encouraging me to move forward on it, that was really the push that I needed to actually send in the proposal. Mm. As far as what the proposal looked like, I could have done more research. Um, I just read online for like most books. If you just search, you know, how to submit a book proposal, it will be with novelists in mind. You know, people who are submitting their memoirs or they're submitting a novel or fantasy, science fiction, whatever. So they have to have a complete manuscript. They have to have 
all kinds of stuff that craft book publishing does not require. But the difference is that we have to have all this other stuff that they don't have to have, like visual direction ideas. Um, and now they want to know like your distribution numbers, you know, who, how many people do you have on all of your social media platforms? How many people are following your newsletter? You know, how often do you put out a newsletter? What's your consistency rate? What's your engagement? There's so much more to send now than there was at the time that I sent in, which I'm grateful for because I probably would have just gotten, you know, canned <laughs> at the time, but this little, like, uh, you know, two or three page, PDF that I, that I emailed Abrams, it was good enough at the time. And it, I guess it must've been, I like to think that it was beautiful because I try to make everything that I work on beautiful. I really believe in that else. Uh, I think it's Elsie, but it could be at least Elsie DeWolf has this quote that's, um, I will, I strive to make everything in my Oh, in my world, beautiful. And that will be my life. It's something along those lines. Mm. And it's always really resonated with me that the beauty around us, we have the capacity to create. And so anything that I touch or anything that I work on, I want it to be above, above everything else. You know, it's function is important. It's purpose is important, but I want it to be a beautiful object first and foremost. And so I like to think that I, I sent a proposal that had a beautiful object feel and that's what got it noticed. Um, the books themselves are beautiful objects. Mm -hmm. I think that that's what gets them noticed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Okay, so we've talked books, we've talked the industry. The other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit is um, your directory that you've been working on. Right. The yarn directory. Yeah. So do you want to just explain a little bit about what that is, why you started it, that kind of thing? Yeah. So the yarn directory started as a project that was an extension of slow knitting and seasonal slow knitting. My thought being... Oh, related on, to animal. On one second. I'm sorry. Can, right. I, can I pause you and grab my bird really fast? Okay, you're good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah. Has the baby bird been rescued? Yes. <laughs> what she failed to mention is that her dog got it, which usually means it's been oh. in 24 hours. So um, that's very depressing. But uh We'll try it. It's a, like one of those robins, a fledgling. So it's too big. Yeah. For us, but we had one in the yard today, but I let, left it alone. I was worried that the, I mean, it's big. It's like not tiny. Yeah. Yeah. But, and for the most part, they can handle themselves ish. I mean, fledglings actually don't do very well in the wild, but you can't, you have to let them dry. Um, yeah. But, uh, robins are my absolute favorite when they get to this age. They're super sassy and super funny. I love how grouchy they look. Oh, they look so grouchy, but they're so, He's so grouchy. I covered him with a waste basket so Andrew could mow the lawn because I was worried oh, that the mower might startle him. You're such a good person. <laughs> <laughs> and then after Andrew was done, I uncovered him. It was like, be safe. I hope your mom finds you before the cat does. Oh, that's so There's sweet. Oh, these so neighborhood good. cats that roam around and I'm sure that he'll encounter one if he's still on the ground I'm just 
Yeah, it's really like how good are they at hiding and they're usually not I think I read something that like only 30% of all fledglings even like make it you know it's, oh my god so, so sad I know it is really sad there's just so much and I would probably say the same about baby bunnies maybe less for baby bunnies my gosh yeah um, anyway do you remember where you were at in the conversation before yes. okay yes, good yes. okay good I was worried so that maybe chase it out of your head okay so the yarn directory the yarn directory is a project that started kind of after i had finished writing seasonal slow knitting i think it had come out already but it might not have come out quite yet it came as a result of me getting a lot of questions from readers of the first book people kind of followed my work asking for advice about which yarns to choose and telling me that although they liked the yarns that I had recommended, they didn't feel confident that they knew what questions to ask or how to ask them about yarn companies that they were interested in. So I thought, you know, I could just tell people, here's the steps for your research, or I could go ahead and do the research. Because for me, this is a fascinating topic. I like to try a lot of different yarns. It was a little bit of an excuse to get people to send me cool yarns that I hadn't tried yet. You know, I was like, can you send me a sample so I can, you know, take pictures and put it back in the directory. Sometimes um, I'll even offer to ship things back to people if it's too much of a hardship for their business to like give things away. I don't want anyone to be out, um, you know, out financially for the yarn directory. But I think for the most part, it's been really good collaboration opportunity as well, because this allowed me to reach out to a lot of people whose work I very much admired and ask them more questions about it and then put it somewhere to be celebrated. So that's been really kind of the goal of it has been to compile this directory of yarns that fulfill the ethical requirements that I now put on my yarns, which include kind of like animal welfare, animal rights, thoughtfulness, um, smaller scale production, non-superwash has become pretty important to me. I talk a lot about using domestic, um, domestic production wherever you are. So if you're in the UK, then that would mean domestically produced yarns in the UK. And if you're in the United States or Canada, it would mean yarn from your country. Um, but it can also mean yarn from your continent, yarn from your hemisphere, um, any little bit of travel time that we can shave off for our materials, I think it's useful. Mm -hmm. I think that the yarn directory has allowed me to make some interesting and important distinctions about which, which values people are able to place on which types of things. You know, if someone is approaching knitting and they're saying, I'm vegan and I would like to knit with wool, but I don't wanna knit from any flock that practices any form of slaughter, no slaughter at all, which is very hard for any farm mm -hmm. to make that happen, yeah. but they do exist. And through the yarn directory, you know, someone can find a slaughter-free yarn. They can find that. Or if they come and they wanna make socks, I have a whole section that's about sock yarns that are non-superwash, or small production or domestically made sock yarns. 
So I'm kind of slowly building this guide that I think will allow people to find things that they want to shop a little bit more guilt-free, kind of this ethical green yarns list, more or less. And I do put a lot of time and effort into the individual research. And it's a lot of work. It's like the, the research part and the photography. And then I started swatching the yarns to kind of get a better feel for some of them that I was less familiar with. Um, asking a lot of questions. Sometimes the questions are uncomfortable. You know, sometimes reaching out to a company and asking them, yeah, you're making your yarn domestically, but does the merino, where does the merino come from? Um, do you know anything about how it's scoured or processed before it gets to you? Are you doing the processing yourself or, you know, the dyeing, what country is the yarn dyed in and what's, then I have to look up, you know, what are the environmental standards and certifications that they're throwing at me, especially for larger companies, you know, they will, they'll tell you, you know, our mill gave us this list of certifications, but then I have to look up what does that mean for a mill in that part of the world. So it, it is a little bit of extra work, but it's a continuation on the work that I had already been doing. And I find it fascinating and more than anything. I love creating this resource that other people can use. Yeah. And that, that's really cool. And do you, I mean, I wonder if some of those questions that you ask, even though they seem like very difficult questions to be asking, I wonder if that makes any of those companies like stop and think like, oh, I didn't like, we never really thought that maybe that mattered to a consumer. Oh yeah. I'm sure that it does. I'm sure that for some, I'm the first person who's asked a question you know, like that. But I'm sure for others, I'm one of many people who's asking them these questions. And depending on how they answer, I can kind of tell if they have a, an answer that's well-crafted and informational and gets all the points, then that means I'm probably not the first person to ask the question. Uh, what has been astounding for me is how many companies are already doing so much and talking about it so little. Like they already support XYZ or they've been working for, you know, making yarn for 50 years, 100 years, 75 years, and they're still doing it the way that's best for their domestic wool partner or best for their customer who's been buying the yarn, you know, for 45 years, 50 years as is, and they don't want to change it. And that's really cool to see inside of that whole different customer relationship than what we see from a lot of companies that treat their consumer as a disposable object. Mm, yeah. Um, so that loyalty to loyalty to the knitting community, loyalty to other knitters, I think that that really shows through in a lot of work that yarn companies do. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I just think it's I just think there's so much that, that you do that makes such a difference um, in the industry in general that it, I mean, I'm, I'm continuously in awe of the work that you do. I really, really am. Um, You're so sweet. I feel like if you could see my, my day to day, you would be so less impressed. <laughs> You'd be like, she woke up today and then she sat in the living room for three hours and watched The Handmaid's Tale and ate waffles. Oh my goodness. And well, then I, I'm, I, I mean, like I'm also similar, but the thing is, is that it's not about what you do on a day-to-day, -day, is it? I mean, it's, uh, about, sure. it's about the bigger picture and the values that you hold and the way that you try to, you know, 
make make changes in the industry, even in really subtle ways. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that like for the better, for the better of the consumer, for the better of the planet, for the better of the animals, for the better better of like everybody. And I just think that's really it's really really neat. Um, and also too, like you did tell me that you put a laundry basket on a baby robin so that your husband could mow and it wouldn't get hurt. So I mean, I was just scared it would scare him. <laughs> like worse than the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> it's way worse than a vacuum cleaner. Terrifying small animals. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it all loops back to what I was telling you about how people were so helpful and generous with their time and energy for me as I was developing my career. And I don't really know how to do, I don't know how to withhold information very well. <laughs> like I've never been a good secret keeper. I don't, keep people's presents secret at Christmas. I have a really hard time about that. I want to, I want them to open it, you know? And so I love the joy that comes to me from other people finding what makes them happy. And with knitting, it's so multifaceted because there are, there are the people who are knitting and they're discovering these new ways to think about knitting or they're, they're rediscovering joy in their knitting process. And my book was some piece of that or the yarn directory was some piece of that. Mm. And then there's people who are looking at the work that I've done and they're saying like, I really wanna be part of this. I wanna be part of this movement. I wanna be part of this mission. And they're diving into sharing their own practices and their own thoughts and feeling empowered Empowered to participate, I think is really important. You know, we hear a lot about people building their own table, but sometimes you really do just want to be invited to sit. And if I can be a person who like has a big table and I can invite people to sit at it, then that's awesome. I think yeah. I would love to be that person. Yeah. Um, and for, you know, maybe it fulfills some like need that I have as well. You know, I want, I want to feel like the work that I'm doing has a purpose and is appreciated. And for me, that means more than a dollar value amount associated with it. So if I can do both, you know, if I can sustain what I'm doing, but then also help other people sustain what they're doing or reach a goal of theirs, that's super rewarding to me. Yeah, that's perfect. So then if people do want to find you online and come sit at your table where can they do that yeah so I'm not so, you know I'm not perfect something I'm working on consistently is consistency <laughs> um so I can be found pretty easily on Instagram even if I haven't posted in a while I'm usually on I just don't know what to say as uh Hannah Bell Mitts and then on Ravelry, I'm Hannah Bell, and this is all H-A-N-N-A-H-B-E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, like Southern Bell, but Hannah for the first part. And then my website is hannathyson.com, so it's just my first name and my last name. Um, and if you don't know how to spell it, you can always look it up, slow knitting or seasonal slow knitting on Amazon, and my name is spelled there, so you can <laughs> grab it from there. I... 
I'm sometimes good about answering emails, sometimes a bit slow, but if I get an email and I'm going to answer it, I will save it and I will answer it when I have a chance to put my mind to it. So if someone messages me and they wait a while for an answer, it's because I'm actually trying to think of something good to say, as opposed to just a quick, you know, off the cuff response. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, obviously I can be found in your magic makers. Is that what it's called? Magic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the magic yeah. makers group. I've been hanging out in there a little bit. Um, not as amazing much value, amazing value, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> when I show up, right. <laughs> it keeps telling me people are tagging me and then I go in and I'm like, ah, oh, you tricky slack trying to get me to read messages <laughs> for me. Yeah. I, um, have been in this really big kind of cycle of unending work in preparation for travel. And so I haven't been able to hang out everywhere. I like to hang out, but those are my main, my main hangout places right now. And that concludes part two of my interview with Hannah. So if you are wanting to find links to the things that we talked about, you can find those in the show notes at my website, which has now changed. Um, it is now at www.anastasiacreates.co. If you still use williamsanastasia.com, it will route you. So don't worry about that. But that is now where you can find... Uh, the links to all the podcast episodes, as well as ways that you can work with me further. And then there are some free resources on there too. And I will talk to you next week.